This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, the Ford government's first session at Queen's Park wrapped up yesterday, and certainly no one can accuse them of dragging their feet. They're bringing in new laws at breakneck speed. Some would say too much too fast. There is the, quote, Better Local Government Act that we've been talking about. Also changes to the way cannabis will be sold. The end of the basic income pilot project. Freezing of salaries for executives in the public sector. The pause on safe injection sites and the sex ed curriculum. The challenge for buck a beer and what is now being referred to as Clapgate. To mention just a few, and I've just got a notice that uh, Doug Ford and the Minister of Energy will be making an announcement. So uh, something in the energy sector, and that is sure to interest our next guest. Michael Schreiner, MPP and leader of the Ontario Green Party. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Libby. Happy to be on. Okay, so where do we start? <laughs> well, you know, maybe we should just start with, um, you know, the Ford government for the last five weeks has really declared war on the modern world. I mean, we're ripping up our sex ed curriculum and moving it back to the last century. Uh, they're ripping up contracts and uh, creating huge concern among business leaders. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce is saying that they're sending the wrong message to business by ripping up those contracts and uh, moving away from any action on climate change. And um, as I said yesterday at Queen's Park, they seem to be creating an employment agency for lawyers. I mean, they're suing the federal government. They're ripping up contracts. They're um, leading to their sex ed uh, curriculum is leading to a human rights tribunal case. Uh, They seem to be creating lots of jobs for lawyers. Interesting take. Uh, We've just been talking about uh, the act that was passed yesterday to cut the number of city councillors in Toronto from 47 uh, to 25. And uh, what's your take on that? Well, I see three major problems with it. The first one is just completely undemocratic to interfere in local elections in Toronto, as well as um, Peel, Muskoka, Niagara and York regions. Uh, after the campaigns have already started. I mean, we have candidates who have registered and are now going to have to re-register mid-campaign, completely undemocratic. Second problem with it is that it's actually going to lead to less customer service. City councillors play a huge role, and I told the story about a city councillor here in Guelph who um, helped, you know, a woman uh, resolve an issue she was having accessing public transit here in Guelph. And you can provide that kind of hands-on service. It's hard with 60,000 residents you represent. It's going to be almost impossible when that representation has changed to 120,000. So it's actually going to lead to more bureaucrats providing that service. I think most people want their elected representative, not a bunch of bureaucrats, providing that service. Uh, It's a bit ironic because, of course, uh, 
Rob Ford made his career on that kind of customer service. Libby, you must have you must have uh, watched me give my speech at Queen's Park yesterday because I specifically cited um, the late mayor and the fact that it was delivering that kind of hands-on cu- customer service that really um, led him to being elected as mayor. And you know, the irony here is is that you know it's going to be very difficult for elected, and I underscore the elected part of that representatives to provide that kind of customer service. And quite frankly, it's one of the most important parts of the job, whether you're a counselor, an MP, or an MPP. But the demands on counselors are even greater because uh, they're the closest to people in terms of day-to-day service, you know, garbage and potholes and sidewalks and transit and a lot of the things that affect people's day-to-day lives. And then the other irony here is, is the premier is going to spend more money on lawyers over the next couple months suing the federal government than, than what will be saved over the next four years by meddling in Toronto's democracy. So this isn't about saving money. Well, you, you, you keep using the words interfering and meddling, but the fact is that uh, the way the law stands now, the city is the creature of the province. They actually have the right to do this. Well, no, Libby, you're right. The province does have the power to do it, but it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's really unheard of for, you know, a Canadian government. As a matter of fact, it's unprecedented. One of my colleagues had the Legislative Library do research to see if any time, at any time in Canadian history, at any province, any level of government, uh, had uh, a government come in and interfered with in an election campaign after it already started. It's never happened in the 151-year history of this country. So they've established, I believe, a very dangerous precedent. And the thing I really pointed out to um, my conservative colleagues is, you know, what's going to stop now uh, future premier uh, interfering in elections in Brockville or Ajax or Whitby or Guelph or any community across the province of Ontario? Because they will always point back to what this government just did, uh, interfering in an election that had already started. Okay, before we move on to some other subjects, we have a couple of callers who've been waiting patiently to talk about this. We've got William in Toronto. Hi, William. Hello, Nib. You're Hello. on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, hello. Hello, yes. Hi, William. Okay, now, uh, two things. Uh, first, uh, don't change horses in the middle of the stream. He can do this after the elections for the next time around. That would be more suitable. And... Second, uh, I read a nice article about uh, uh, council being, if a council decides to be a two-tier council, local and provincial, that uh, puts Mr. Ford out of the picture and, and they don't need a provincial uh, um, uh, oversight uh, to proceed in that way. And, uh, and in the article it said uh, Los Angeles has a two-tier council and a few other places in the United States and it works out good. So what does your guest have to say about that? William, you raise two fantastic points. So I absolutely agree with you. Don't change horses midstream. Um, that's just unprecedented. It's never happened in Canadian history. So it's the wrong thing to do. And you're right. You know, the Premier has been citing the fact that Los Angeles and New York City, uh, comparable or slightly larger size cities, have smaller councils. But what he doesn't talk about is they have far more elected representatives because they have neighborhood and bur- bureau, ca- bureau councils. And so, um, 
that's certainly a possibility I think Toronto needs to explore or should explore uh, because, you know, it, the bottom line is, is city councillors have a huge amount of responsibilities in terms of development approvals, parks approvals, uh, you know, how garbage is dealt with, et cetera, et cetera. And citizens, the people, expect their councillor to provide hands-on customer service. That's going to be extremely difficult when you have 120,000 residents. It's hard enough with 60,000 residents you represent. So my worry is, is the premier is just creating more bureaucracy and more bureaucrats are going to be dealing with that. And I think a lot of people want their elected representatives to, to work with them and work for them. Okay, let's hear from Brian and Mimico. Hi, Brian. Hi, uh, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, talks of a referendum. Now, if there were a referendum, what do you think the results would be? I would assume that overwhelmingly they'd want to go to 25. So all these arguments are just a moot point. They just want to delay it for another four years. I say get on with it. Yeah, a lot of people just think it wasn't fair that there was no discussion of it, and yeah, and it, it, things have started. So yeah, you're you're right. A lot of people object to this uh, because of the process and not because of the actual thing that's happening. Brian, thanks for your call. Uh, we've got to take a quick break, but we will be back with more from Mike Schreiner on uh, some of the other many other things that have happened in the last five weeks. Mike, please hang on and. We will be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am on the line with Mike Schreiner, the head of the Green Party, and we're talking about the uh, breakneck speed. The session just ended at Queen's Park, the first session of the Ford government. And uh, Doug Ford has said that they, they don't... Uh, they don't deny climate change, but some of the uh, measures that are designed to mitigate that have been canceled. What What do you make of what they're doing on that front? Well, Libby, I was deeply disappointed that they canceled the programs that were helping people uh, lower their carbon footprint and lower their energy costs. So the fact that they took money out of people's pockets who wanted to get an electric car, which would more than you know, significantly lower their fuel costs. They took money out of the pockets of people who were retrofitting their homes to reduce their electricity and home heating bills. I thought that was wrong. Uh, Well, I I have to say with some of that, I mean, you know, the idea of giving a break to somebody who's buying a $130,000 Tesla doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Well, Louis, I felt they should have capped it. I, I was very critical of the Liberal government for not capping it at, let's say, you know, $50,000, because there are a number of electric vehicles that are in the $30,000 range, uh, and providing people with a little help to be able to to get that industry off the ground, which not only helps people lower their fuel costs, but it also helps position Ontario's auto sector to be at the cutting edge of where new vehicle development is, which means that's where the investment's going to go and where the jobs are going to go. I mean, there was just Forbes just put out a article saying that the fact that uh, the Ford government has ripped up contracts, has 
essentially said we're, we're going to do nothing around climate change, and we've removed the incentives that were helping businesses transition to the clean economy is actually going to hurt Ontario's economy because the largest global job growth is in the $7 trillion clean economy. I want Ontario to be a leader because that will make us a job creator. Uh, do you have any inkling of what they're going to announce tomorrow in the energy file? I don't. Uh, we haven't heard any hints so far. I do think the um, Premier does have an obligation to come forward with a climate plan. They've talked about a lot of things that they're opposed to, and it's sort of easy sometimes to say you're anti-this, anti-that. What I'd like to hear is what they're actually going to do for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about some of the other things? I mean, there's this whole buck a beer challenge. I mean, in fact, it is, uh, you know, they've they've lowered the the floor on, on a beer challenge, but it's not up to them to set the price of beer. What do you make of that whole thing? You know, I just took that as a big distraction from the important issues that we're facing. I mean, you know, here we want to talk about how Ontario can be a global leader in the clean economy. We want to talk about, you know, how we can help make life more affordable for people. We want to talk about how we can improve public services. And, you know, the premier is focused on buck a beer when, you know, nobody's nobody's calling for that. So it was mostly a gimmick, I think, to distract from some of the other important challenges the province faces. What about cutting the cost of government? Uh, We have seen a cap on salaries, salary increases for managers, for executives in the public sector. Yeah, so in in some cases, I think I'm a big supporter of executive compensation reform. I think the fact that the CEO of Hydro One it was being paid $6 million, though I should say the premier, by the way, he handled uh, getting rid of him, turned him into the $9 million man with his stock option. Uh, yeah, but uh, you actually. can't, you know, you say that they can't rip up contracts, so so you can't take away the stock options. I mean, well, I think they not. threatened to do that. Pardon? So, of course, I'm not saying they should, should have. I'm just saying that the way they handled it, saying to people that, you know what, we're going to get rid of the CEO of Hydro One, and it's going to cost nothing. And then we learn two days later it's going to be $9 million. I think it would have been better just to be honest and upfront with people from day one. Uh, and to me, the bigger issue, though, I, is... Wait a minute, I, I just have yep. to jump in there, because Doug Ford on this program during the election, when we thought uh, that if he had been fired according to, you know, the other... Uh, his original plan where he was going to get $10 million in severance. Uh, you, I asked him point blank, you know, will you fire the guy if it's going to cost you $10 million bucks? And that's not stock options, that's the severance. And he said, mm-hmm. yeah, worth it. Okay, well, you know, if the premier thinks that's worth it, that's up to him. But the one thing I would say on the, um, the pay freeze for executives, uh, we need executive salary um, compensation reform. But I will say, particularly for school boards, school boards have gone through a two-year process to develop a reform system around executive compensation and to have two years' worth of work be have the rug pulled out from underneath them with no notice on Monday. Um, I thought it was disrespectful to the work that had been done uh, by school boards over the last two years. 
And, and anything else that really sticks in your craw that happened? You know, the, the big one for me is the uh, cancellation of the basic income pilot project. Um, the conservatives had promised during the campaign that they would keep the pilot. As a matter of fact, all four major parties in Ontario had promised during the campaign to keep the pilot. And for them to break their promise on that, um, I thought was a bad move. Because I'm looking for, we know that the social assistance system in Ontario is broken. I'm looking forward to, um, a, you know, smaller government, less bureaucratic ways of addressing poverty. That's what a basic income guarantee offers. That's why prominent conservative economists such as Milton Friedman and, you know, prominent conservative politicians such as Hugh Siegel, that's why they had actually been big proponents of the basic income pilot. So for us, not, for the conservatives not to keep their campaign promise, to let the pilot move forward so we can learn from that, to learn ways in which we can reform our social assistance system to help the people who are most vulnerable and in need and also help create the incentives around eliminating the clawbacks that create a disincentive when people go back to work. Okay, I think we have a caller who wants to say something about that. Uh, we sure. need this to be quick. Uh, Deb in Georgetown, hi. Yes, hi. Uh, no uh, no offense to Mr. Schreider. Uh, basic income. I read a lot of articles. People quitting jobs because they're not fulfilled so they can get uh, live on basic income. I'm sorry, there needs to be checks and balances. And he's also insu- insulting a lot of people who did vote for Doug Ford to move fast Get a get a grip on the spending of civil servants, etc. I'm sorry, he's doing what a lot of us asked for. Okay, thanks for that, Deb. And that was indeed uh, quick, Mike. Well, what do you say to Deb? Yeah, Deb. Uh, you know, I appreciate your perspective, Deb. But with all due respect, two thirds of the people on the basic income pilot actually have jobs, and a number of them were, if they weren't employed, were actually going back to school for retraining to be employed in new positions. And a number were actually even using the economic security that comes from it to start their own businesses. So, um, you know, I, I, I recommend maybe meeting with some of the folks who were involved in the program and who were working. Uh, okay. Um, what would you like to uh, leave us with, Mike, on this? Uh, you know, what, how do you see your time at Queen's Park going forward? Well, you know, Libby, I, I want to leave you a bit with an area where I agree with a change that the new government's brought in, and that's on the cannabis legislation. I felt, and I was the first political party leader last September when the Liberals announced their cannabis monopoly to come out against it, because I feel like it'll do nothing to stop the illegal, unsafe underground market. And if our priority is to eliminate the underground market uh, and make cannabis sold in a, in a safer way, I think moving to a private model is the way to go. And uh, what, and I was pleased that the government announced that that's the approach they're going to take. And as long as they don't do it in a way where they do backroom deals with their corporate friends, but do it in a way where it's strictly licensed and open to local entrepreneurs, I think it's a good move and a good change that the new government's made. Okay. Mike Schreiner, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we couldn't cover everything, but I hope you'll come back soon. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.